Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers Thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I'm a small business owner, and I believe that this is a great tool for other small business owners. In small businesses, you need to create a team. And if you're starting by yourself, Constant Contact can be the team that you need. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by the 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. My number was 453. Everyone has a number. My number was 453. The world doesn't understand that, that we move because of reasons that we can't handle and people tend to follow what the media tells about migrants and refugees seen as people that come in to steal jobs criminals and so as a result no one knows what our actual stories are positive stories can change the mindset of people that doesn't know anything about the stories of migrants and refugees i think should be told more You know, what does this mean? A simple SMS tool. Can it change your life? And I think Ibrahim would say, yes, it has. Welcome to the Global Goalscast, the podcast that explores how we can change the world. This episode, we will cross the Mediterranean with Ibrahim Conde. This is the incredible second half of our special report, One Migrant Story. And what a story of courage and determination. We will travel with Ibrahim as he survives shipwreck and encounters racism as he's never had it before. And how technology transforms his life. 
Ibrahim really got it right when he described his fellow migrants as true heroes. And this is our chance to share with you, dear audience, what is it to be a migrant and why we think that humanizing migrants as individuals can remind us that we all belong to the same human family, which is the essential part to achieving the global goals. More on all that right after this. This episode of Global Goals Cast is brought to you by MasterCard. MasterCard is dedicated to building an inclusive world in which the digital economy works for everyone, everywhere. This episode, we welcome Universal Production Music. Universal Production Music is one of the world's leading production music companies, creating and licensing music for use in film, television, advertising, broadcast, and other media, including podcasts. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and to Harman, the official sound of Global Goalscast. Welcome back. I'm Claudia Romo Edelman. And I'm Edie Lush. Migration is such a powerful economic force. Claudia, I loved your line in Marie Claire last year when you said that migration is ancient, unstoppable, and positive. Migration is not only ancient, unstoppable, and positive, but also can reduce inequality, accelerate growth and development only if it's well managed, which is why migration was included in the Sustainable Development Goals to start with. Let's see. Global Goal 10 is reduction of inequality both within and among nations. And to help achieve that, Goal 10 calls on countries. Let me quote this exactly, Edie to facilitate orderly, safe, regular, and responsible migration and mobility of people, including through the implementation of planned and well-managed migration policies, which is what the Global Compact for Migration is all about. And as you know from our last episode, pretty much nothing about Ibrahim's trek from his village in Sierra Leone to the North African coast was orderly, safe, or regular. More like fate takes a hand meets survival of the fittest. Let's quickly recap that episode. It all started with Ibrahim's flight from tribal initiation. I had to like fend for myself. The very first night I slept on a stall at the lorry pack. Ibrahim's story illustrates the plight of what the UN calls irregular migrants. Irregular being a polite way of saying outside the regular authority of police or governments. We were dumped in Asia, a huge number of us. Those that can afford it at that particular time had to pay again to move. We paid the traffickers about 300 or 400 US dollars to take us to Tripoli. They told us it would take us two days to reach in Tripoli. But we actually spent one week in the desert before we, we were able to see normal land or buildings. Going through the desert, you, you could see like fossils, like remains of people that have just been dumped, left to dry out in the sand. And before reaching their promised destination of Tripoli, the journey comes to an unexpected halt in Sabah, that notorious hive of human trafficking. I couldn't exit the gate without the permission. So it's like you have to walk in order to pay for like a ransom actually. 
So I was there for a couple of months, like walking daily. Like so much of Ibrahim's journey, faith was to play its part in the next stage. Every Friday, 26 people are supposed to leave. And so one evening, while he was counting, there were only 25. And so he just saw me because I was one of the youngest little boys among our group. And so he just said, come go with them. So that was when I had to leave that place. That was the, the only opportunity I had to leave on that fateful evening. And this is where we rejoin Ibrahim and Daniel on a Mediterranean beach in Libya. At the seaside, it was very cool, like very cool. It was in December. We had to be outside. Like we get food, a loaf of bread once a day. I was there for like two weeks because we had to wait for the construction of the dinghies and also the weather condition. When the time came, one evening, around 12 to 12.30 a.m., on the 12th of December, they called us 130 or 240 folks that we loaded in that boat that morning. This is a boat made for 70 people, which was crammed with nearly twice that many. I was the first person that entered because when the boat came, I was one of the people that took the boat into the water. So the others, you have to walk in the water to go to a certain height where you could climb into the dinghy. We were from different nationalities. There were also people from Bangladesh, from Pakistan. There were some other guys from Morocco. Mixed nationalities and we were packed in this boat. For months, as they traveled north, Ibrahim and Daniel had been inseparable. But on that chilly night, Ibrahim sat alone in the prow of the boat. Daniel later came in. I was unable to see or talk with him. The last time I saw him was before I, together with other guys, took the boat to the water. The traffickers said a few parting words. They told us that it will take us three hours to get to Italy. That was a lie. The boy that was like moving the boat didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how to use the compass. And they just gave us a, two gallons of fuel. They said, well, that would take you guys to Italy. Separated from Daniel in an overcrowded boat. We were scared of talking or shouting because there is a group that we were praying not to meet. They were called the Asma Boys, a gang or a rebel group that chases boats around in the water, catch them, take them to their own camp, and then request for money. And after these people paid, and then they will load them again to continue their journey. So that is how they get their own money. And then we have the problem of the coastal guards as well. When you're caught, they will take you to prison. So we couldn't shout, we couldn't talk to each other. Three hours stretched into a night and a day, jammed or choked, as Ibrahim put it, into that barely seaworthy boat. We were choked up, and some people were down couldn't do anything. And we came to a point where 
the tide so the sea was very high so the boat was like swinging up and down i was actually sitting in water there was just like two long piece of board that they laid at the floor of the boat and so because of the tides a lot of water entered it was rough it was really really rough we saw them coming like in little speed boats coming towards us we were scared we thought it was the like this group that used to catch people and take them to prison so we were scared and when they came and they asked if we have weapons or how many are we in there if they're babies or pregnant women and so then we realized that there were people to rescue us so everyone started shouting crying the boy that was steering the boat had to remove the engine and dumped it into the sea he was scared if they saw him he would be arrested and accused of being the trafficker and so we were unable to go further a British rescue ship had spotted them, along with two other boatloads of migrants. The rescue workers asked Ibrahim's boat to wait. But adrift in the tossing sea, now without an engine, waiting was easier to say than to do. A lot of people started becoming panicked, and some guys were standing, some were shouting, and it became very chaotic. Like Everyone was so worried and afraid. Then they came for the little children and the pregnant women. They took them out. After that, they had to like start drawing the boat with a rope. But during that time, the side where the engine was, the weight was so much down there because the waters entered. And so it began to sink down. And so that was when some people decided to like jump into the sea to try to swim. The distance was long, so some of them that jumped couldn't make it. And when the boat started and like sinking, other people were trying to rush to come to the front, where at least it was a little bit higher. And that was how a lot of people lost their lives. Only later, after he'd been plucked from the sinking boat and taken to the British ship, was Ibrahim able to grasp the scale of what had happened and the toll. When we entered the ship, there were many people inside there, people that they rescued before. On that day, we were about 600 that were rescued in that particular ship. And my number was 453. Everyone has a number. My number was 453. Ibrahim searched the crowded ship for Daniel. When I entered, I thought he reached before me. Oh, he's on his way coming, or he's on the other speed boat. So I started looking around the different people. I started searching, and he wasn't there. And, and then I realized, yeah, he was one of the people that couldn't make it. I wasn't able to, to see him again. And then they asked us if we have any clue about the people that couldn't come because they, they realized that some people had drowned. And then that was when I started asking. I called out. I knew someone that was just down there. We stayed there for a couple of minutes and then the ship had to move. I never found out officially what happened, if his body was found 
Oh no. Never had that opportunity. Thirty thousand migrants have died trying to cross the Mediterranean in the past few years. Fifty to sixty of those drowned that night, including Ibrahim's friend from childhood, Daniel. They had come so far together, Ibrahim and Daniel, and were so close to their goal when tragedy hit. The ship took Ibrahim and the other survivors to Italy. When we arrived, we were taken to a reception center in Calabria for online company miners. I was given a phone to like, call my parents. On a borrowed phone, Ibrahim called his mom. The first thing she said that uh, she thought I was dead. She hadn't heard from him for nine months which then brought the questions moms ask everywhere. She was like, why didn't you call me? I thought something bad has happened to you. I thought you were dead. She shouted so loud that, and then told her, yeah, I'm alive. And then she asked, where are you? And then I told her where I was. And she was like, how did you manage to, to be there? What happened? You didn't call me all this while. How are you? My mom doesn't know actually all the things that I went through. I never spoke with her explaining everything. I didn't really explain things to her because I know how she, she might react to hearing that. Because she has blood pressure, and so I don't want anything bad to happen with her health. So, Ibrahim was alone in a promised land where he and Daniel had dreamed of reaching together. He was 17 years old. When I first arrived, I never talked about my journey because everything was so hard to explain. Thinking about how we were close and what happened or what I've been through, those dark memories, they have been chasing me like wildfire and dry season, I could say. It's so hard to think about. And so that's why most times I tend not to, not to actually talk about it. It's really hard. And the work was not over. Physical danger receded, but Italy brought new challenges. I had that thought, that imagination of how my life would be like, how I might have like, the possibility to go to school. The Rupert's on TV was uh, lights everywhere, beautiful houses, high buildings and rich people. And then to my reception camp, it was quite different. And mainly because it was a reception camp and we were many, a lot of people asked to wait for each other to go to the bathroom. There were changes that were normal. Now it was quite understandable, like a different culture, different environment. In fact, it was in December. I'm from West Africa. It's very hot there. And here it was super cold. For the very first time, I had to feel that. But it was normal, and um, I had to learn a new language. These were all understandable. But there was one thing that I wasn't expecting, like going out, and people asked to see you from a distance and then run to the other side. 
once I asked why, and then I was told that we were the first set of people of color of that amount of number that has ever lived in that community. So people were really scared of us. And that really pains. There were some people who were, who were very rude, that they walk past you and speak, or some tend to cover their nose. So all of these things were beyond my imagination. Mentally and emotionally, it's very, 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 very hard. There's no proper access to health for people living in reception centers. And sometimes if you talk, they will say, if you think that here is very hard, why are you here? Why don't you just stay where your home is? These are people that are working in the camp. I stayed there for 11 months when I was actually supposed to be there for three months, according to what they told us, but I was there for 11 months, like waiting for documentation process. And I didn't have like anything to do. I didn't have the opportunity to go to school because by then they said oh, my Italian wasn't good. To most of us, a mobile phone is a gadget. But to Ibrahim, it was much more. A lifeline. But first, he needed to raise the money to buy a phone, as he told Edie. I had no money to do that, and so the people that were running the camp owned the hotel. And so what they did was like, they had to offer us a job, and we would work from 8 in the morning until 4 or 5 in the evening. And they would pay us 5 euros a day. And wow. I want, yes, five euros a day. And I worked for complete one month in order to get 150 euros to buy myself a phone. I was so desperate to have a, a mobile phone because that was the only chance I could get to speak with my family. But connecting with his family was only one of the benefits. So when I got the phone, I started like connecting to the internet, Facebook, or any other social media and also downloading apps which I could use to learn the Italian language. Wow, what apps did you use? I used Duolingo and um, several other free apps. Ibrahim supplemented the Italian he was learning on Duolingo with language classes at an adult education center. He eventually received a basic education certificate. And with your phone, you were able to use an SMS service that UNICEF is involved in. Is that right? Yes, a messenger through Facebook. And what did you use that for? To ask questions, because in the camp, the people that were running the camp couldn't understand me that much because I couldn't speak Italian. So when your report came and told us about the platform and they told me that The questions will be answered in the language that we prefer. Mm -hmm. It was like a welcoming news because there, I had so many questions that I wanted to know the answers to pertaining my documentation process and how I was living my life in that reception center. How did it work? You had a Facebook messenger and you just started firing questions off? Yeah. What were those questions? I sent so many messages, so many messages on how to go for my document because the camp that I was leaving, they walked so slowly, like there was nothing moving. So I wanted to know if I can do it myself. 
And then they told me that, yes, I can do it myself because the, the camp has to deal with so many other people that are seeking asylum. So then I started moving, going for my ID card, which I did by myself, and so many other processes that I did by myself. So that really helped me in going through my documentation process. Were there lawyers on the other end of your messaging service feeding information to you? Was that what was happening? Yes, there were lawyers that knows more about how asylum process works in Italy. And how long after you started using the platform did you get documents to move on? So five to six months, I was able to start receiving answers from the questioner at the police office and having appointment dates or where to go for medical checks and um, to take ID cards. And UNICEF did not just give Ibrahim a lifeline to lawyers, but also help him get back to school. With the help of a lady that works at UNICEF, she sent me a link one day about this advert that she saw that people are giving scholarships to young migrants and refugees that came to Italy as a minor. So I happened to apply and I was called for an interview and also the test. And I got called that I've been accepted. So presently I am doing an international baccalaureate program, IB diploma, for two years. And so I can renew my documents, I can have a student stay permit now instead of a job permit or losing my stay. Claudia, remember Mohamed Yaya from the last episode talking about how so many migrants were chasing their dreams to Europe. Ibrahim may have left home fearing for his life, but that turned into the dream of building a different life for himself. Now Ibrahim wants to stay and attend university in Europe, but things are far from certain. A change in government or rules for migrants could be enough to throw Ibrahim's long-term plans off track. If I was back home, my life would have been more stable than here because I was in school. I actually thought, I'd imagined I had a great future ahead. But here, I've lost so many years of school and I'm still fighting, although yeah, I could say I'm right now on the right track trying to catch up again. That SMS messaging service that Ibrahim used was part of something called U-Report. It was a big help for Ibrahim just when he needed it. Tania Akoni from UNICEF, who introduced us to Ibrahim, says that was the idea. We have a use of U-Report, which is called on the move, and it really reaches out to young refugees and migrants who arrive with nothing, in this case in Italy, and it's around how to help them at their moment of most vulnerability. They don't know the system, they don't know what they're meant to do, they have no network, and they're incredibly vulnerable. They're under 18, they feel like they cannot go to any official municipal body or the police or anywhere for any help because they're undocumented. You can imagine if you're fleeing for your life and or you've been through countless situations of being transported from X to Y place, you may have lost or may never have had the right kinds of documentation that you need. So they also are not aware if they're allowed to get any health services, if they're allowed to go to school, if they're allowed to be anywhere, do they need to run from the police every time they see an official person? 
They have no idea what their rights are at all, typically. And it's about how can we reach and help those young people at their most vulnerable moment to claim their rights and to get them to be able to access services and to protect them. You know, what does this mean? A simple SMS tool. Can it change your life? And I think Ibrahim would say, yes, it has. Not only did you report give Ibrahim access to guidance through the thickest of laws and rules covering migrants, this mobile phone message system gave him the opportunity to share and process some of the trauma of his journey and experiences. They made a competition for people to give out their views. It can be video, a song, whatever someone wishes to participate with. And so I had to sit down and like reflect on my journey and all the things that I've been through. There was no one that I, that I could talk to most of the time. So I just used to write just to free myself from that dark past that I had. So I decided to like write a poem. And so when I shared it with them and they liked it, they said I... I won, I won the competition. I was so surprised that someone could like it. And so that was when I started, I kept on writing. Here at the Global Goalscast, we have been deeply touched by Ibrahim's courage. First courage in making his journey, and then courage in telling the world about it. And we love his poem. An extract of that poem can be heard in our previous episode, which covers the first part of Ibrahim's journey. This is a really touching moment for both of us, I think. A boy whose voice has never been heard, number 453. And he has this beautiful moment when he realizes that he has something to say. His story is important. His poem has been selected. I think that that's such an incredible sense of all of a sudden being visible which is what we're trying to do here on the Global Goals Cast. I actually felt incredibly touched that he chose to share his story with us when I still don't think he's ever told it to his mother. And I think his mother has now listened to this podcast. So she's also hearing some of it for the first time. Wow. I, I actually have to admit, I would love to know if we can reach the mother of Ibrahim and let her listen to this. But hey. She has a blood pressure, right? Like, I don't want to be guilty. I, I, I won't I push that one. Hang on. Stop press. We've just received a message from Ibrahim saying that his mom hasn't yet listened to the podcast, oh. but his brother has, and he is going to play the podcast to his mom because oh. she can't actually use the internet yet. So oh, I, so amazing. <laughs> I feel like we're connecting the dots. I feel like we're going to show Ibrahim's mom what an amazing person he is. She probably already knows that, though. The most important part that I have realized through this journey of Ibrahim and Daniel, first of all, is that we're all human. At the end of the day, having lost your best friend in a journey where you're like trying to get something and all of a sudden you're sitting down on the edge of a boat on your own, it's such a human story. I can relate to that so dramatically. But at the same time, it struck me how you know, like UNICEF and people like Chris Fabian inventing you report, you know, like someone we know has been able to mm. save someone's life, like Ibrahim. That's amazing. And how many 
other technology pieces can we add to this equation to make them touch the life of someone? Actually, I think it was your idea to have this whole season be called Technology and Transformation, Claudia. So well done, because I actually think that this story is exactly that. Ibrahim was pretty much doing everything he could. This is a kid with grit, with resilience, with real courage, and actually a lot of bravery and a little bit of bravado, possibly, to make him get across Africa. But it was a really tough grind until he gets that mobile phone. And that mobile phone was able to transfer that grit and resilience and that human intelligence into stuff that actually changed his life, helping him get a health card, helping him find out about scholarships to an incredible school in Italy, and helping him now go back to school when he had to flee all those years ago. It is incredible. It is a story of our times. That's what I really love about the story of Ibrahim. But overall, like the transformation of technology, I can see it now uh, working on, for example, other spaces, just like not life-threatening, but also access to Latinas, Edie. Latinas have a huge issue with uh, technology being a friend or a frenemy when it comes to having access to capital. So Latinas create six times faster than any other group in America, small businesses. And so they start a little kitchen, they start a little business here, but they don't scale up for more than two or three employees. And that is because mm. we don't have access to capital. We don't have a credit history. We don't have financial literacy. All of those issues can be solved by technology. So Ibrahim's life and the Latina life who wants to scale up and all of a sudden be that entrepreneur, you know, like becoming an emporium and having 100 employees is all through technology. I think that in the next decade of action that we're going to start in 2020, I think that technology has to be the center of everything we're doing so that we can really achieve the global goals. And I'm so inspired by actually listening to the stories from a lot of our partners, from the World Food Program, from UNICEF, from UNDP, of how they've all started their own innovation centers and startups almost for entrepreneurs. And they are putting technology in the hands of those people who need it, but also who can transform their own lives. The one thing that pisses me off dramatically is that we did an episode on migration at the time of the launch of the Global Compact for Migration, and that was 2000, what was it, 17? And nevertheless, the conversation was the same. We have to humanize the stories of the people. Migration is positive, ancient, and unstoppable. We need to understand migration as opposed to fear it. And here we are, Edie. Two years after, one Brexit about to happen, the break of Europe through migration, you know, like countries and countries divided by fear, migration being the biggest enemy and the elephant in the room. And yet we still haven't made a lot of progress. It seems to be stagnant, if not more. So I think that we should get every one of our listeners to do something, Th think about someone that they know and pay tribute to a migrant, be someone you know in your close family or someone else, the way that we're trying to do it here. Because I think that if we're going to ever break the cycle, we have to do this together. And if humanizing migration is the story, then we have to all be part of the solution. By encouraging our listeners to do that, we can show how the power of technology and social media can break barriers. Tanya Coney at UNICEF has also told us that there are plans to expand this U report. 
10 agencies across five countries are now moving to launch a version as part of the response to the upheavals in Venezuela. And that's a great segue to this episode's Facts and Actions from Matthias Debbie. He's a Youth and Innovation Specialist at UNICEF's Office of Innovation. Matthias manages the Global U Reports platform that has had such a positive impact for Ibrahim. Fact number one, refugees are a wildly diverse group, even those coming from the same country. I think this is often forgotten or people are surprised when you mention that you sat down and spoke to a doctor, an Instagram influencer and a member of an indigenous people on the same day. So the word refugee quickly refers to a stereotype, a negative stereotype. And I think this is a good fact to keep in mind when speaking about refugees and migration issues. The second fact, knowing that Ibrahim has shared his story on this podcast, is that his story is just one in many. And just like Ibrahim, the many children like him want to go to school. This is in fact repeatedly the single most important thing that young people raise when we speak with them through our youth engagement platform, U-Report. But more than 30 million children are displaced around the world who commonly lose between one to four years of school. And that's a fact. Thirdly, the trust is key. This may be more of a perceived fact than a hard fact, but I have experienced over and over again in this work that trust is so important. Refugees are rarely looking for luxury, but for a life they can rely on. Stable access to school, access to reliable services, trustworthy information about their situation. This is exactly what you report on the move is trying to deliver. Reliable information about your situation and the place you're in, advice on your legal status, referral to accessible services, and so on. So the first action you can take personally is to remember what a refugee is and what a refugee is not. Retire that stereotypical review of refugees and speak about these issues in a constructive, solution-oriented way around the dinner table and in your daily interactions with people. Secondly, support youth to speak up and hear them. Whatever you're working on, whatever you're designing, whatever you're promoting, remember that 1.8 billion people in your potential audience are children and youth and that 90% of these live in developing countries. And this group has lots to say, and listening can both improve your work and their lives massively. Lastly, looping these points back into U-Report, I'd like to say that U-Report is a tool for all youth to raise their voices, battle stereotypes, connecting youth to services at a global scale. We're currently operating in 65 countries with more than eight and a half million users, growing by a quarter million users every month. The key to providing ever greater services and reaching more youth is partnerships. We currently have more than 350 partners worldwide, but if you are listening to this and think your company, agency, NGO or local youth group has something to offer and want to get involved either at a country specific level or at global level, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks to Matthias Devi for those facts and actions, and thanks to Ibrahim for sharing his story. And thanks for listening. Please like us, subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and follow us on social media at Global Ghostcast. See you next time. Bye-bye. Adios. Global Goalscast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo Edelman. We are editorial gurued by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Kuprider. And our interns, Tina Pastore and Brittany Segura. 
Music in this episode was courtesy of Universal Production Music. Original music by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, and Andrew Phillips. This episode is brought to you by MasterCard, creating scalable solutions for sustainable and inclusive economic growth. Thanks also CBS News Digital and Harman, the official sound of Global Goalscast. ¿Estás listo para convertir tus mejores ideas en un negocio en línea exitoso? Te presentamos Shopify. Tal vez no lo sabías, pero nuestro podcast More Than Mummies es un negocio y lo empezamos, por supuesto, para desahogarnos y hablar sobre la maternidad, no para convertirnos en expertas de ventas y del e-commerce. Así que sí, necesitábamos ayuda para vender nuestro merch y poner en marcha nuestra tienda. ¿Y cómo suena con Shopify? Llegó otra venta. Shopify es la plataforma de comercio que está revolucionando millones de negocios en todo el mundo. Ya seas un emprendedor desde tu casa o desde donde sea, Shopify es la única herramienta que necesitas para iniciar, administrar y hacer crecer tu negocio sin dificultades. Con Shopify puedo gestionar pedidos, envíos y pagos desde cualquier lugar, brindándote toda la información y estadísticas de tus ventas al detalle. Regístrate para un periodo de prueba con tan solo un dólar al mes en shopify.com barra sonoro. Todo en minutos. Ve a Shopify.com barra sonoro para llevar tu negocio al siguiente nivel. Shopify.com barra sonoro.